This week was hope, and this week we're talking about love. <laughs> oh. um, there's so many things you can talk about when it comes to love. Actually, Lee, can you just put the lights up a little bit out here? I'm just squinting to see everybody. Ah, that's better. Thanks, mate. Um, so many different aspects of love that you can talk about. So, you know, it's such a big topic, particularly when it comes to the Bible and what it talks about. I mean, God is love. Um, so I thought I'd focus um, this morning specifically on love as a motivator. Wow. So, you like that? <laughs> in uh, the current vogue in uh, graduate recruiting around the world at the moment is to do strength-based interviews, I've been told. So the particular questions that they ask when they're looking to um, take on graduates for graduate programs uh, they ask more likely to ask questions around things like, so what motivates you? Asking uh, intrinsic sort of questions that uh, find out more about the person as opposed to their uh, technical skills, if you like. Uh, obviously, they need to be able to do certain things, but what motivates you? The, the idea of the question is to find out you know, what, what drives a person, what's the internal motor, if you like, uh, that that drives a particular person, and you can find out about that person, what that person's like. It's not good if you're going for one of those interviews to say, I'm here for the money. <laughs> Even though that could be true. <laughs> Another bad thing to say is, I'm here because I want your role. <laughs> I've heard someone say that as well. Didn't get them very far. Um, in fact, I was reading on the internet uh, some responses to some questions that, um, that uh, the uh, consultants, um, what are they called, the interview people? HR. Hey, no, no, from the external ones. Recruitment agents, yeah. So they were going through uh, interesting answers that uh, recruitment agents had, had received to certain questions. And um, one of them said, we asked a prospective job applicant at our business to fill out a questionnaire for the line, choose one word to summarise your strongest professional attribute. This person wrote, I'm very good at following instructions. <laughs> Another one, when asked, uh, what might you not like about this job in customer service? And they wrote, dealing with people. <laughs> And uh, finally, one person wrote, why did you leave your last job? And they wrote, I have a problem with authority. <laughs> Unfortunately, didn't get the job. <laughs> uh, 1 Thessalonians 1.3, uh, in the Phillips translation, says this, we are always thankful as we pray for you all, this is the Apostle Paul, for we never forget that your faith has meant solid achievement your love has meant hard work and the hope that you have in our Lord Jesus Christ means sheer dogged endurance in the life that you live before God, the Father of us all. And uh, when I was speaking about the uh, first part of this uh, message, three part, first part of the three parts when we're talking about faith, I was saying that Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church saying there were certain things 
because he wasn't there all the time, he'd moved on, that, that were uh, in, embedded in his memory, the things that he remembered when he thought about the Thessalonians. He wrote this letter and there was these three things, his faith, uh, hope and love. And he says that, um, that he, uh, even though it wasn't a perfect church, even though it had some issues, uh, he saw Jesus Christ at work in their lives and he rejoiced because of that. And he's saying here that, that your love has meant hard work. In other words, that the love that they experienced from Jesus when they encountered him motivated them to actually go out and do something for God. So, um, love is a motivator. Love is supposed to be the motivation behind the church and the Christian. In the world, there's lots of different motivators. A lot of people work hard, not just believers, but lots of people work hard. Uh, And lots of people are motivated by lots of different things. Uh, In the business world specifically, corporations, uh, they're motivated and the driver is called profit. It's money. It drives people, people to do extraordinary things, to work night and day, to get up early, to work late um, because they want to be successful, they want to make money. If it's a public company, they need to provide return for the shareholders and it's a motivator. It drives labour. Many people push themselves to extremes to get more money. Uh, they'll sacrifice their family, their kids, their their um, a lot of other things, their, their spare time or anything else because that's the motivator of their life. Uh, the engine for some people is recognition. They just want to be recognised. They want to be known for something uh, and it drives them, it motivates them to keep going. Others, it's fame. Uh, they want everyone to know who they are or respect. Uh, some people, when you talk to them, the motivator is you know someone, their father, their mother, a significant person in their life, teacher or whatever, said that they were never going to make it, said they never amount to anything and, and, and that's the driver that forces them to do because they want to prove to somebody that they are someone and that they can do it. And that's the motivator. I was listening to a podcast uh, this week, uh, listening to lots of different stuff, but anyway, it was, a, it was, I was listening to the uh, Triathlon Hall of Fame interviews. So <laughs> I know you, I can see you're just enthralled right now. Just <laughs> anyway, I was listening to an interview with a guy, his name's Peter Reed. you probably never heard of him, but he, was, he won uh, the uh, Hawaii Ironman three times. He's a very famous uh, uh, triathlete from the uh, 90s and early 2000s. And, um, and he, uh, interviewing for the Hall of Fame. Anyway, they said, what, was, what made you get up early and what made you train hard? And, and then he, and they said, there was a period in your career where you seemed to go off track um, and, and you were getting all these results and then you just didn't seem to be anywhere for the final three years of your career. And he said, yeah, that, that was a problem. He said, when I was younger, when I decided I was going to be a professional triathlete, my father had said to me, you are wasting your time because uh, he was quite a smart guy. He was supposed to go to business school. He quit and he said, oh. and my father said, you're never going to make it. That is a stupid thing to do and, um, and one day you'll see that my advice is right. Anyway, he said for his whole career, that's what motivated him. 
to prove to his father I could make it. Anyway, he said for 10, he became very successful and well-known in the triathlon um, world and achieved a lot of success and money. And, and they said, so what happened in 2000? He said, in 2010, my father wrote me a really long letter apologising about what he'd said and that he made a mistake and how sorry he was and he's so proud of him and his achievement. And he said, when, when he wrote me that letter, I lost all my motivation. <laughs> I found training so hard after that because every time when it was hard, I'd picture my dad's face and I'd be grinding out the cologne. I'm going to prove to you that I can make it. And then once that was gone, he's like, oh, I had no motivation left. I was just trying to drive it on my own. Um, you know, when it comes to our faith and our, our Christian life, it's so important that why we do what we do is motivated because we have it, we've had an encounter and, it, and God's love and what he has done for us drives us on to do what we need to do. Because otherwise, what will happen if we're doing it in our own steam, at some point we will be discouraged, disillusioned, burn out, uh, cynical or, or get hurt because... Our, our motivation for doing what we're doing is um, not pure, if you like. Now, we're not going to have a 100% motivation, a pure motivation, but the reason that we do what we do has to be driven out of an encounter with Jesus Christ, experiencing his love that motivates us to go out and do something for him. If we're playing in the band, if we're serving in church, if we're witnessing, if we're involved in other ministry, um, it has to come out of that encounter and that love for Jesus Christ because there will always be opportunity to get upset, to get hurt, to get overlooked, to get disappointed because it's a fallen world. Things don't always happen. We don't always get recognised. We don't always get appreciated. We don't always get thanked. Um, you might find that in your workplace. And so if, if the motivation is to get recognition from the boss and you don't get that recognition, then you're going to lose your motivation. But if it is because Jesus has put me in this place and he has given me this opportunity and what I do is to please him and to get his well done, good and faithful servant, then whether the boss, and obviously it's good if the boss does recognise you, but the motivation is different. We've had an encounter with Jesus Christ and he's changed our life. That's the engine. Um, in the early church, it was their love for God, their love for one another, that actually appealed to the first century world. Their love and their commitment to each other flabbergasted the people around them. Tertullian, one of the early church leaders, wrote this. Uh, he said, um, The love which is worked among us exposes us to many suspicions, for the love they witness strikes them. Behold, they say, how they love one another, yet we hate each other. And even that we call each other, and even that they call each other brother and sister seems to them suspicious for no other reason than among them all expressions of friendship and kindred are only feigned for advantage. It was, it was, their heart, their love, the encounter that had changed them on the inside, then expressed towards other people, not for advantage, not to get something, to receive something out of a relationship necessarily, but simply because Christ had changed their life and they were motivated to see that change and see lives changed around them. That was 
obvious in that first century. That's what stood the Christians out from the rest of the world and it should also be that today. So I want to look at two points here this morning. Number one, I might get to two, maybe one. First one, love is the driver. Mother Teresa said this, many people mistake our work for our vocation. Our vocation is the love of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Many people mistake our work for our vocation. It's the love of Jesus that has our vocation. What's vocation mean? It's the thing that you do that, you, that, that drives you on, the thing that, you, that encompasses your life. And many people um, will define their life by their job. I'm an accountant, I'm a builder, I'm a this, I'm a that. Uh, that's their vocation. But the original, per, the original meaning of the word is, what is your life about? What do you live for? What is your vocation? Mother Teresa said, helping people is not our vocation. Feeding the poor is not our vocation. Love of, the love of Jesus is our vocation. And because of that love, we do what we do. Why do we do what we do? Because we want to get something out of it? or because we've already received something, and it's out of that that we do what we do. Um, And without the indwelling power of Christ's Spirit that changes our heart, that brings this motivation, develops compassion, and helps us to see the world differently, a different set of eyes, a different worldview, then we will not be able to do what God asks us to do. We will not be able to fulfill what Jesus calls us to do because he calls us to do something that is beyond our capacity or ability in our own strength. He says, I want you to do that, but you're not going to be able to do that without me. And if you try, you will burn yourself out. Um, Again, uh, someone said to Mother Teresa, I wouldn't do what you do for all the money in the world. And Mother Teresa's response would, neither would I. (laughs) money was not the motivator. She'd experienced, and if you read her biography, she had an experience, she spent eight days in prayer trying to discover what the purpose of her life was when she was a young girl. She had an encounter with God that showed her a vision of what God had called her to and she just began feeding people. She had an experience with God. She experienced his love and it was out of that experience that she went out to change the lives of others. If we don't experience that love, then our motivator, the reason that we're doing things, is, gonna, <clears throat> is going to um, cause us to get damaged in the process. If we don't know what Jesus has done for us, if that's not at the core of our motivation, <clears throat> then we will have these other motivations going on in our subconscious We won't admit them, maybe not even recognise them. But when when they're not fulfilled, we'll find ourselves um, getting disgruntled or getting um, hurt or disillusioned or disappointed. So having that encounter is so important. Christ's love is the fuel that makes the Christian call and purpose sustainable. That's why in these services... We worship, we have encounters with God because we renew that afresh and experience again Christ's love. 
Christ's relationship, what he has done. And uh, this morning it was, it was phenomenal. Um, Jesus talks about what motivated him. Love motivated Jesus. You read all through the Gospels and the story. He didn't go to the cross for a book deal or a movie deal. He goes, oh, I'm going to... Yeah, I'm going to get this great book deal and a and, uh, movie and, uh, you know, and uh, my name's going to get all over the world. <laughs> Everyone's going to be talking about me. I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make that sacrifice. That's not why he did it. It says that it was for the love of you and I, his heart for us and our, our lostness, the condition of our life, he said, inspired him to do what he did. It was love. Love for the Father and love for you and I. What drove the disciples to do what they did? If you read through the book of Acts and some of the other historical documents, you see that they, they weren't driven again because they were getting paid a lot of money or uh, they were getting to drive fancy cars or anything like that. Why did they take the gospel to the ends of the earth facing beatings and suffering and every one of the disciples except, the, except for John were martyred. In other words, they were killed for their faith. John died of old age but everybody else was martyred. So why did they do what they did? Why were they driven to do what, what they achieved? Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.14 articulates what it was that was going on in the hearts and the minds of the apostles and the early disciples. He says this, he says, for Christ's love compels us. Another translation says, Christ's love drives us. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. Christ's love compels us. Another translation says Christ's love constrains us. And so if we want to live for God, we want to build the church, we want to be known as Christians and believers, then there has to be a motivator, a driver on the inside of us that is not of this world. It's not money, it's not fame, it's not recognition, it's not prestige. It's an encounter with Jesus Christ on the inside, the love of God, which opens up our eyes to see the world in a whole different way. We get up in the morning driven by something other than the mortgage or the bills or the, and you know, they're all realities in our life. But if that's all we're living for, to make a living, to get a bigger house and drive a nicer car and all those things, which are all important and all valuable, but if that's the essence of our life, if that's really what's motivating us, then as Christians, we've, we've missed it. And we can go back to the source and say, God, show me what I'm here for. Show me what life's about. Why am I doing what I'm doing? And what we're doing may not even change, but why we're doing it. Why we're doing it makes all the difference. Number one, love must be a driver. And I will go to my second point. Uh, Love is the standard. 
Love is the driver, love is the standard. Um, so our work for the Lord must be motivated by love for him and is to be recognised by him. Paul wrote again, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3, he says, If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak words with power, revealing all his mysteries and making every, everything plain as day, if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but the motivator behind it is not love, that's my interpretation, <laughs> I've got nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, what I do, I'm bankrupt. I'm bankrupt without love. And that love is, that word is agape, which is the God kind of love. It's not a love that just comes out of our heart for a good friend or a parent or a child. It's something far greater and more encompassing than that. It's a, it's a divine love. A divine love that causes us to go to extremes because the one that gave us that love asks of us something. In Ephesians 5.1, Paul said this, Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. And here's the, here's the kicker in this scripture. It's like a slap in the face. Paul says, so love like that. Are you serious? That's a big call. How am I able to do that? Because the love that was in Christ that caused him to go to that cross and give everything he had for us, he says, I can impart into you when you receive me. When Christ comes into our life, that love can begin to percolate on the inside so that we're prepared to lay down our own ambitions or our own drivers or our own other things, whether it be you know, revenge or, or bitterness or hatred or some of the other negative things that can drive us at different times to do certain behaviours and to go, you know what, I've, I've been forgiven, therefore I am going to forgive. I am going to let that go. I'm going to embrace what God has called me to do. And I'm going to change the world. At the end of that scripture in Corinthians, if you know that passage, and it's spoken at many weddings, most of the weddings that I do, all quote that scripture, love, love is patient, love is kind, blah, 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 blah. But at the end of it, it says this, love never fails. Love never fails. I'll finish with this quote again from Mother Teresa. Does anybody like Mother Teresa? or liked, she's passed away now, but just an incredibly inspiring woman. Incredibly inspiring. But she said this, it's not the magnitude of our actions, but the amount of love that is put into them that matters. 
So in the world, we, we recognize significance by the size of something. That's significant because it's big or that many people recognize it or that people are aware of it. So we think, wow, something that's significant means it's big. A significant amount of money is a big amount of money. A significant reputation is where a lot of people know who you are. A significant business is a big business. It has a big impact. But when we come to the Bible and when we come to understanding the Scriptures and what God calls us to and to be, it's not the size of the thing that matters. It's what's put into it. It's not the magnitude of our actions, but the love that is put into them that matters to God. So we can achieve something massive as that scripture is sharing. We can do something incredible. People can go, that's amazing. But from God's perspective, it's not motivated, driven by love, then he doesn't recognize it. And yet the smallest act that is done with a heart of love and compassion, as the Bible says, even giving a cup of water to someone that's done with love, God says that, that is significant. That is powerful. That is a life changer. Because it comes out of a heart that has been changed and empowered by Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit. So as I close here today, let's close our eyes and we're going to finish up the service. But I want to encourage you to open up your hearts afresh to the Lord Jesus Christ, to encounter again that love that refreshes that empowers, that motivates. I was 17 years of age when I first encountered Jesus Christ and His love and compassion for me. You might be here today, maybe you've never actually experienced nor encountered God's love, His forgiveness, His grace, His mercy. You've never prayed a prayer that said, God, come into my heart, forgive me. I want to know you. That's you here today, you've never prayed that prayer. You've never experienced the grace and love of God that transcends all understanding. You may have gone to church, may have done some religious things, and you may even pray from time to time when you're in trouble. But you've never said, Jesus Christ, come into my life. I want to know you. I want to experience your love, your forgiveness. If you've never prayed that prayer, 
I'd love to lead you in that prayer here today because the Bible says if you pray those words, then you will experience the love of God. The Bible says if you ask in your heart that Jesus would come into your life and you believe it, then it'll happen. So if that's you here today, well, every head's bowed, every eye's closed, you never prayed that prayer, but you say, you know what, I want to I pray that prayer here today. At the end of this service, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I just want you to put up your hand and say, yeah, that's me. I've never prayed that prayer, but today I want to pray. I want to pray that prayer. I want Jesus Christ to come into my life. I want to experience that love, that forgiveness, that grace that transcends any other love or forgiveness because it is from God. Just put up your hand so I can see it and I'm going to pray with you. Maybe you've prayed that at one time, one, one time, one point in your life before, but you're away from God right now and you know you're away from God. You know in your heart of hearts you're not living right. You're not making godly decisions. But today you're saying, you know what? I need to get back on track. Today, God, I surrender afresh to you. I want to know you again. If that's you, just put up your hand so I can see it. We'll pray at the end of this service. Come back to God. Give your heart back to him. Get back on track. Back in the place of blessing. Back in the place. Let's put it up high and we'll pray. Why don't we all stand? I want to just take a couple of minutes. Why don't you just close your eyes? Just put your hands out like this. Might seem a bit awkward, but just it's just a physical sign of openness to God. And uh, I'm just going to pray that we afresh receive, encounter the motivating love of God. It's so powerful, so incredible so surpassing, so extravagant that it changes our worldview, changes our life, changes our motivators and drives us to do what God's called us to do.